0: Welcome to the Central Seminary Podcast. Thanks for joining us today as we discuss biblical and theological issues relating to life and ministry. This podcast is a ministry of Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. To learn more about Central Seminary, visit our website at www.centralseminary.edu. My name is Jared, and I'll be your host. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Central Seminary Podcast. I'm excited today because we have Joel Tetra with us today. He is a Central Sem- Seminary alumnus. Uh, was it the MDiv that you did here, Joel?
1: I did uh, a Doctor of ministries there. Okay.
0: DM, uh, DM in here at Central Seminary. And uh, the rest of your training was at Detroit,
1: right? Yeah. So... Yeah, so I did a, a bachelor's and a master of arts at the uh, International Baptist College. Uh, my father was the president and then eventually the chancellor, he's with the Lord now. And, uh, and then after that, I studied, I did a MDiv. Eventually I would finish a THM. Uh, actually, I finished my THM from Detroit and during COVID. And uh, in between my MDiv and my THM, Back in the '90s, I did my coursework for the uh, Doctor Ministry program there at Central. And uh, after we moved to Arizona a few, a few years later, I was able to finish that up. Uh, somewhere in there, I was able to study at uh, Calvary Lansdale for a little bit and uh, took a class in Israel at the Jerusalem Center for Biblical Studies. That was that was an amazing experience. And so, yeah, I've had the privilege of doing some study in those you know, different places.
0: Okay. Great. Well, we are going to talk about today your uh, your well part of your ministry with the uh Institute of Biblical Leadership and some of the things you do there. Before we get there, I'd like to ask our guest any books that you're reading that you want to recommend to
1: us. Yeah, so um typically I would give you two or three or four. I'm actually trying to finish up I for my THM in Detroit, I actually wrote, my thesis was um, a response to the Hebrew root Sabbatarian movement. Okay. And over the last several years, there's been kind of an explosion of uh, Christians um, who are experimenting with um, a form of Sabbatarianism. Oftentimes they'll meet on friday night for shabbat and uh they you know they um, sing hebrew choruses and they eat burnt lamb a couple of times a year they blow their shofar and there's just been this real uh kind of an explosion of interest into hebrew roots um and so of course Uh, many of them are actually turning their back on the church and they're assigning guilt for those of us that believe that um, New Testament saints corporate worship is to be on the first day of the week. And so, uh, yeah, so right now I'm, I've been, I've written on that and I've finished it up and I'm trying to get that published. So I really have not had, I really have not had time to really delve into other reading. However, having said that I have uh, when people ask me about a leadership book over the years, when I, when I did my uh, Pyramid in the Box uh, decision-making in the local church, I uh, was impacted greatly in my thinking by Hans Fenzel. He wrote a book years ago, Top Ten, Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make by Hans Fenzel. It's one of the best books I've ever read anywhere, any, by anyone. Uh, on leadership. And so that's a fantastic one. But you asked me, about, is there a book I'm reading right now? There is. <laughs> it's J.I. Packer, Knowing God. Okay. And uh, I, I just love, I've fallen, since Packer went home to be with the Lord, I've gravitated towards his, uh, I've read several of his books. And right now I'm rereading J.I. Packer and it's just really been a blessing to me. Yeah.
0: Okay. Great. Well, we have uh, a, a lot of items to talk about today, and when I when I looked over the list I sent you, I thought to myself, how are we going to get this in, in in roughly a forty minute time frame, which is usually what we shoot for. So if it ends up being too long, we might just break it up into two episodes because sure. I, I'm anticipating Joel that your material is going to be that good that we won't want to cut any of it. <laughs>
1: okay, <laughs> so good. that's great. I mean, I'm not offended, so I can give you what. As we do this, I can give you the shorter answer, or if you want the longer, juicier, chewier answer, we could do that too.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, give us whatever you think will will best uh, best serve our listeners.
1: All right. So,
0: right. a part of your ministry, in addition to being a pastor, is you work for the IBL Institute of Biblical Leadership. Uh, do you want to tell us about that? Just uh, maybe give us some some brief. Uh, highlights about the Institute and then what you do for them? Sure.
1: So uh, first of all, yeah. So my title at IBL is I serve as the the director of U S training and partnerships. And so um, over the years, uh, IBL has uh, really dedicated itself to be a ministry that comes alongside leaders uh to encourage them to to be it primarily a ministry of encouragement and a ministry of helps to leaders in ministry and not only serving the leaders but then the ministries that they serve um so we over the years we've kind of broken down what we do into four different wings of the ministry we do training um leadership training uh and then we do coaching uh you know that's uh the coaching is hey joel i never got this in seminary how do you handle this <laughs> and uh, and so most of us i think just about all of us on the ibl team all of us are engaged in coaching with uh, men and women that are in leadership ministry leadership and then consulting, that's when we come alongside um, a, a pastor or elder team or pastor and deacon team or, you know, a organizational leadership team uh, for a parachurch ministry, like a missions organization, um, a Christian college, you name it. And uh, we walk with the leaders as they are working through decision-making and, a lot of times, a ministry team, they know who they are. They know what they're trying to accomplish, but they're stuck. They don't know how to go from A to B. And so, and when IBL shows up, uh, we, we really have no authority um, other than what's granted to us by the ministry in question. I mean, we're outsiders, right? So we're coming in and and so we don't take a posture of, okay, we know what we're doing and you don't, and we're going to set you straight. <laughs> that's just not, that's not our posture. Um, yeah, Um, Our posture is, Hey, we're brothers in arms with you and uh, let's think together. And it's, it's more process oriented than, Oh, here's this missing piece that now you may be missing. The leadership team might be missing some important pieces and we're happy to kind of think through that, but, um, you know, as we, as we, as IBO comes into a ministry, um, especially with consulting, we're, you know, just wanting to breathe some oxygen <laughs> into the, into the, uh, into the group as they kind of work through uh, the issues of, of ministry. Yeah, so we do training, we do coaching, we do consulting, and then we do biblical counseling. Uh, biblical counseling, that, that's often, um maybe a pastor and his wife, uh, you know, some kind of uh, aspect of life and ministry where you've got a Christian leader and they're really struggling. And this is now beyond coaching. And um, maybe they're struggling in their marriage. They might be struggling with uh, maybe some children. They might be really struggling with the ministry. And it, the struggle, the hurt, it's now in their head. They mm-hmm. can't they it's like uh, it's like they're locked up in jail with John the Baptist and Matthew 11. You know, they're <laughs> there. I mean, and I love Matthew 11. Uh, you know, there's three courts there. The the inner court. OK, Jesus, are you really Messiah or did I miss something? The outer court, which is the peanut gallery. John the Baptist is an idiot because he dresses funny and he, you know, he eats honey and locusts. But then the court that matters is the upper court. God says, okay, let me tell you about John the Baptist. Like, he's like Elijah. I mean, there's nobody better. And so a lot of times, those of us in ministry, we go through difficult situations and it's hard. And when we get out on the other side, we actually aren't out on the other side because we're locked up in our head. And a lot of those hurts, they go to, well, I just must be screwy. (laughs) And so a lot of times it's it's good for a leader and a spouse to be able to uh, come along, you know, to come out of there, come to the mountains of of, uh, North Carolina and have five days. Typically, the way that works is the counseling is in the morning and the afternoon, you know, they have time to kind of rest and to do their homework and to walk around a lake and where it's just quiet. Right. And so that's uh, that's the counseling ministry. Yeah. So, so again, over the years, IBL, um, we, you know, in my latest newsletter, I, I mentioned that um, we probably, I probably could give you a hundred different scenarios where IBL showed up and did ministry. But uh, it, we kind of hang our hat on those four pegs, um, you know, which is teaching, uh, coaching, consulting, counseling. I, in consulting that can look like a lot of things that can be long-range planning it could be short range planning um i actually uh for years i told the i told the staff at ibl i thought maybe we should do a fifth wing which is crisis response but crisis response really is another form of consulting uh, you know crisis responses uh there's a crisis in the ministry and the life of the ministry is in jeopardy mm. And so we come in there and we try to throw out life preservers and we try to want to, you know, give them a lifeline and an oxygen tube. And <laughs> let's, uh let's try to help. um Let's try to help bring some triage to this and try to find, stop the bleeding and let's uh, see what God would have us to do. So that in a nutshell is just kind of oversee. I mean, um, if I may, let me just springboard into the, the history of IBL. IBL was, established like between 30, 35 years ago, the founder of our ministry, Dr. Russ Lloyd, Russ came to faith in Vietnam. Um, He had a commanding officer that knew the Lord. Russ didn't know the Lord um, in his younger years. And so this commanding officer really uh, commanded respect in Russ. And so in time, the course of time, Russ was led to Christ. And then by this commanding officer, and then in time, he, Russ was really impacted by the Navigators. Uh, I don't know if you know the Navs, mm-hmm. a lot of Bible memory and, you know, discipleship. And in time after the war, the Air Force in time would send Russ to Purdue University to get a PhD in organizational leadership. And while he was at Purdue getting organizational leadership, he ended up uh, coming under the influence of, uh, uh, Faith Baptist Church in Lafayette getting biblical counseling. Mm -hmm. So we have organizational leadership, biblical counseling, and those two were brought together really to impact Russ's thinking in this area of biblical leadership. Well, in time, the Air Force would send Russ to the Air Force Academy, where he would teach incoming cadets principles of leadership. Uh, At some point in time after that, the Air Force sent Russ to Dayton, Ohio, And while uh, Russ and Doris's wife were in Dayton, they ended up at Washington Heights Baptist Church, which is a -A GARBC church in the Dayton area. And that church started this counseling ministry to pastors and missionaries, which in no time really began to grow and and became what IBL is today. Uh, It's interesting when that ministry started, it started in part because Russ had a burden Russ was teaching one of the Sunday school classes. I think it was a lot of younger, younger families, married couples, and he did like a year, year and a half study on the heart. What is the heart? Well, the applications to leaders, pastors, and missionaries, and those in Christian service are myriad. Well, that's some of the early impetus of, you know, the counseling ministry becoming what IBO ministry is, what IBO is today.
0: Okay. In your ministry with IBL, are there, what are some of the most common issues that you deal with, or are there any?
1: Yeah, so that's, that's, that's a great question. Um, You know, uh, so, yeah, so I, about 35, 40%, well, a chunk of my time, well, I serve as lead pastor at Southeast Valley Bible Church, and then uh, a portion of my time, is um, with IBL Um, and so over what's happened over the years is um, more of my time has gone to IBL and my part of the pie at IBL has has been uh, primarily working with churches consulting um, working now with seminaries and colleges and different avenues to do U.S. training I've done, I do some ministry overseas. So I've done some ministry in Vietnam, Africa, Ecuador, a few other places. And um, so I would say that, uh, you know, not unlike what I just kind of shared, you know, a a lot of the ministry that I'm involved in deals with... uh, coaching when leaders need help with coaching and a lot of it is consulting and especially when there's we're struggling in the room together we've you know we really maybe conflict uh, we've had some real struggles understanding where we're headed um, and so you know part of the leadership team wants to go this way and part of the leadership team wants to go this way and uh, we didn't mean to but the enemy has so worked in the ministry, either in the leadership or and oftentimes that's reflective of what's happening in the congregation. where now, instead of having unity, we actually have two or three siloed congregations under one roof.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So in, or two or three subparts, uh, subparts of the leadership team. I don't know. Years and years ago, I got a phone call I uh, got a phone call on Saturday night and uh, said, uh, it was a group of deacons. Hey, Pastor Joel, we're going to fire the pastor tomorrow. We think that's going to go bad. What do you think? <laughs> and uh, so I said to them, I said, well, so, hey, guys, uh, you know, I wish you would have called me six months ago. And uh, I said, so I was asking them questions on how did this happen and where are we? At? Well, so <laughs> the dear brother said, he said, well, uh, yeah, we think about half the congregation is loyal to the pastor and about half the congregation is loyal to the deacons. And so this is Saturday. I can't be in the next day. He said, can you be here Wednesday night to encourage the troops? Because we think the church is going to be discouraged. I said, yeah, I can be there. So, I, <laughs> so we flew there. And uh, yeah, so it, meeting with the leaders, what I found out was, well, it wasn't exactly entirely true that half of the church was for the deacons. Now, these one or two deacons were connected to this part of the congregation, and this one or two deacons were connected to this part of the congregation. And this one or, so you had all these siloed, you know, chunks in the leadership team connected to siloed chunks within the congregation. Well, that's just that's just a recipe for disaster. You can't yeah. do that. That that doesn't add to unity within the within the church body. So and, and what you're job, saying is so common. Oh, dude. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's, uh, right. And part of that is because we don't know how to deal with conflict and, uh, um, you know, and so part of what we do is, okay, we don't agree with each other, but we we don't have to go to war. Like there's, there's a biblical way we can address these practical differences without, you know, uh, you know, going to war with each other. Yeah. So that's part, that's largely what I do is, my, okay, so the deal is when I, when, when I, when myself and another IBL staff member, when we parachute into one of these ministries, it's my job to establish trust with all sides, and to say to the congregation and to the leaders, "Hey, I have no authority to do this, but I want you to give me authority mm. to to speak into your life." And so, uh, Group A, I love you, and Group B, I love you. And group C, I love you, but there really needs to just be one group. Yeah. And oh, by the way, probably all of you are guilty. <laughs> and so, I, yeah, help. Let me walk with you. Let's think biblically about how the Lord would want us to uh, work through some of these differences that we have.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. So for our, our discussion today, I kind of broke it into two sections, one on leadership and one on conflict, so why don't we start talking about the leadership portion of that uh, when it comes to specifically pastors and the ups and downs of ministry and leadership. How can pastors take advantage of times when things are going smoothly in the ministry to lead Uh, without upsetting things and turning the the smooth times into difficult times? This is actually a question that uh, a friend that I know asked uh, when I told him about this podcast, a local pastor, Central Seminary grad. uh, How can pastors take advantage of maybe the smooth time when things are going well, people are on board, without upsetting that?
1: Yeah. Well, at IBL, we we have a definition of uh, uh, biblical leadership. We actually... um, we actually, we love several passages, but a passage that we really have uh, appreciated over the years is in Isaiah 61.3. So they will be called trees of righteousness. Uh, I grew up with the old King James and the old King James, I think, calls it oaks, which I love that. I love that translation. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. At IBL, we, we, we call our teaching at IBL, EML essential ministry leadership. Uh, in the early days of IBL, we would make a distinction between an all that kind of a leader versus a less than leader like Samson in the old Testament. That's a good example of a less than leader, right? So with leadership, uh, there's really four parts of an effective leader. And, uh uh, and I'm answering your question, but I'm feel, I'm building a base before I get to your question. So uh, uh, the four parts of a leader. We talk about the leaders. So we use the metaphor of a tree. You think about the roots of the tree. That that really deals with a leader's purpose, his heart, his motivation. And so a leader's heart has has to be right. Uh, a leader's being that's his character. Uh, that's number two. Number three the uh, And that using the tree metaphor, the being would be the limbs of the tree. The foliage of the tree is the leader's impact. That's roles and relationships. And then lastly, the leader's practice. That's the sap of the tree. And that's what do I do to lead others? Well, your question absolutely leads to this question of what do you do and how do you lead a congregation? And I think you're right. I think especially when things are going smoothly. You need to take advantage of that, and so when things are going when things are going smoothly, then it's right that we utilize the unity and uh, you know the the joy of the congregation and the joy of the leadership. Hey, we love each other. Things are going well. You know, we're preaching the gospel. We're doing discipleship. Hey, let's let's uh, let's really uh, be clear on uh, taking advantage of the fact that we've got good momentum, right? Good motion, good momentum, and so one of the one of the things that uh, at IBO we really encourage, especially for leaders that are in that uh, um, that section of your ministry, every morning when you wake up, get on your knees and thank God that you're in that section of the ministry, because there are going to be times when you're not in that section of the ministry. Mm -hmm. There are going to be times when you're in a different season, right? And so if you're in a season when Things are going well, yeah. Praise the Lord for that. Enjoy that. And so, Jared, one of the things that we've uh, encouraged uh, all ministry leadership teams to be clear on is, um, hey, what's what's the makeup of your church? What, and you'll you'll see different groups use a lot of different terms. Uh, We talk about vision and mission. Other, you know, I mean, you'll see, you know, what's your purpose, mission, vision, objectives, plans all of those terms. And at IBL, we use some of those as well. But as you think about all of that, what you need to be clear on what, what that is, what is your mission, your vision? How has God wired you as a church? Uh, What is the unique calling? How is your church wired and what is the unique calling of that, of that congregation? And as you forecast, uh, as you understand what what your mission mission or vision is in your individual church, what are the two or three high level objectives that we need to be pushing for as a group of pastors and deacons and lay leaders in a congregation? And so I say we say two or three because yeah, you know, when you do that, you're going to come up with eight or nine or ten or twelve things that you really think you want to do. Well, you can't mm-hmm. do. You can't focus on eight or nine or ten or twelve things. Yeah, you need to. Yeah, so you break that down, and IBL is happy to work with uh, ministry leadership teams and understanding how to how do you break that down. And in this season of your ministry, what are those two or three high level objectives that we really need to focus our attention? It's really important for the you know the longevity of the church and for our mission. There, here are two or three things. Uh, that would really be helpful for us to focus on. By the way, I there's a simple methodology that I'm happy to give people and you know, if, if uh, for those that don't have time or are not interested in having IBL come in, a simple methodology is just do a SWOT analysis once every year year and a half. Yeah. What are your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats? Get a whiteboard, write those down, get a flip chart, write those down. Okay, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your opportunities? What are your threats? You capture all of that. And you'll notice item number two on your list is kind of connected to item number eight on the list, which is connected to item number 13 on the list. And so you can scratch all those out and and say, okay, that's one item. And so you you go through that process and yeah, eight times out of 10, uh, you'll have a list of maybe four or five or six issues And then you as a leadership team, you'll quickly have consensus on, oh yeah, here are two or three items. It's really imperative that right now in this season that we're in, that we really focus ourselves on those two or three items. And then, so if those are the two or three items, then you ask the question, okay, out of those two or three items, how do the elders participate in getting that done? How do the deacons, elders or pastors, how do the deacons participate? Or if you have a board structure, how does the board handle that? How does the congregation come alongside that? How do individual church members who are not on the leadership team, how can they be a part of getting that done? So so with leadership, uh, uh, you know, answer your question, how do you take advantage of things going smoothly? That's, that's an important one is, is uh, being assertive. Uh, with the congregation and the leadership saying, hey, you know here's a real ministry objective. Um, you know a lot of us are a lot of us would say, hey, we need to do a better job of outreach, of evangelism and outreach. And so you know during during a, a season of life and ministry when there's good vibes and people are encouraged, hey, that's a great time uh, to take advantage of that and and effectively, you know, lead the church through some of these ministry initiatives. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I'm curious when it comes to that, you talked about leadership team and, and elders. And What if it's a church that is a single or solo pastor led church, doesn't have plurality of elders? What might that look like in a setting like that?
1: Yeah. Well, so it, really the same. You're still, you know, you're still, so you're leading a group of deacons. You probably have some, key, uh, lay leaders in the church. And so you gather those, those leaders together, you know, and it might just, it might be two or three deacons along with yourself. You have the same conversation. And so it's okay. I mean, at IBL, we work with, you know, we work with a a variety of, uh, churches that have various views of polity. And, um, at the end of the day, most churches are going to have you know, you're going to have a Lydia, you're going to have a Phoebe, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to have, um, Aquila and Priscilla. You're, you're going to, so you, yeah, they oftentimes, the majority of the time, they're not going to be pastors, but they are mature Christian lay leaders that want to serve and have a heart for God. And so, you know, you either give them a title or you don't give them a title. The cool thing about those people is they'll serve God with or without the title. And so, um, you know, and so no, a pastor can t- absolutely take advantage of those kinds of uh, heart leaders that have a heart to glorify God um, to, you know, as we gave that definition of leadership earlier. Um, and so, yeah, so, you, you know, you're looking for those leaders with a Holy Spirit led that are committed to this Holy Spirit led process with a, a Christ like individual with a heart to glorify God influencing others to embrace god's objectives so you get those if you're pastoring a church and you don't have a plurality of elders or pastors then uh, you're still looking for people that have a heart to help and yeah and you try to get them in on that and 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 you absolutely can be effective in the same with the exact same kind of a thing strengths weaknesses opportunities threats how has god wired us and again ibl is happy to come alongside ministry uh, churches and ministry teams to help them with that process if they need that. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, l- let's talk about pace in leading towards change. Uh, fa- fast or slow? You know, how do you counsel your pastors, your leaders? What's the balance between leading in a certain direction too fast versus too slow? And other maybe other dynamics at play in that?
1: Yeah, that's a hard... Uh, that, uh, Yeah. You asked several questions that are hard to answer. (laughs) I think you specialize in that, Jared. (laughs) So, uh, I think a lot of your questions are yes and no. And, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the, deal with, uh, the deal with, is it too fast or too slow? Boy, there are a lot of, uh, contributing factors to answering that question. Um, Uh, Is there high morale? Is there a good sense? Okay, I would say this. I would say one principle is a leader really should not be charging new territory and making uh, lots of changes, especially when the congregation and the leadership is looking at each other shocked. And this is out of the blue, and they've not heard anything about this. That's especially dangerous if the leadership hasn't heard, right? And so um, clearly a pastor needs to share the biblical basis for why a change is coming. And uh, and when it's done right, a pastor, a leader has prepared the congregation. He's prepared the leadership. And when changes come to the surface, the, the congregation leadership will say, oh yeah, well, we kind of knew that was coming because he's prepared us. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, there are times when you got to make a a snap decision. It's a unique uh, urgency. And so you gather the church together, you gather the leadership together. And so you say, hey, this is kind of an urgent matter. We believe that uh, here's a right response to that. But that really ought to be the exception, not the rule. The rule ought to be, that we're being purposeful, thoughtful. That when we have change, we're preparing the ground. We're giving the biblical teaching to leaders and the congregation long before we actually initiate change. And so that that would be my quick answer. Yep. Okay. And then then kind
0: of leading leading or going with that, uh, what is the balance then between teaching and leading? Uh, sometimes pastors do need to slow down and take time to teach. Well, other times they need to step out and lead. How do you make that determination with whatever issue you're working with? Whether you just need to plow ahead and say, uh, I, you know, f- "Follow me as I follow Christ," uh, yeah. so to speak, or, "Well, we're going to slow down. I know this needs to happen, but the people aren't there yet."
1: Yeah. Well, so First uh, Timothy five seventeen. Let the elders that rule well um, are you know they're worthy of double honor, uh, and then if. And then I think that passage says, especially those who are laboring in word and doctrine. So that verse, along with a variety of other verses, make it clear that uh, the bishop, pastor, elder, those that have been called to that kind of a function, they, they're to do both, right? They're to be both leading and teaching and feeding. So um, yeah, I again, I, this is, uh, you know, we at IBL, we talk about uh, asking the Lord for Uh, King Solomon and baby kind of wisdom where, Mm. um, you know, we just, we really need wisdom. And and so, and here's the other thing. Um, I would say to that brother that's pastoring a church uh, that's asking me that question, Hey, at the end of the day, you're walking with the Lord, you're walking with your people, all things being equal. You're kind of the best guy to know when is it time to push? When, when, when is it versus When is it time to love the sheep, be a little bit more patient with them? Let's give a little bit more teaching. Um, What I've noted is in most of our uh, independent, conservative, non-ecumenical Baptist and Bible churches, most of our kind of congregations, what I've noted is that oftentimes we need to help the leaders see why the change You'll need to help the congregation see why there needs to be change, and then there will be individual sheep that will that that you'll need to say, "Hey, hey, Sam and Sarah, listen, I love you both, and I, I think you're struggling with this. Can we get together over a sandwich or coffee or a village inn? We can have a piece of pie and coffee. Let's let's uh, let's talk about this. Yeah, I, you're struggling, and it's okay. Help me understand that. I'll let me share why." and let's see if we can. So I think there's wisdom in that, right? I think there's wisdom. I don't think you do one over the other. I think most of the times we're doing both at the same time. Okay. We teach while we lead. And, uh, uh, and uh, honestly, I, I think that usually significant uh, change when we, when we help, believers and groups of believers in the church with significant change that's built on a whole host of other smaller incremental you know changes in our leadership uh, direct directions and challenging sheep and here's the thing as we as we love god sheep and um as we love them long before you get to those significant pivots in ministry uh it's those incremental day by day week by week you know uh, love investments into god's sheep that in a sense we earn their trust Mm. and um, it's always dangerous for a pastor to just always anytime he wants to do a major change to pull out this oh i'm the pastor card you should just follow me Mm -hmm. if we're not if we're not you know putting credit into that by through a relationship with god's people Yeah. And, um, Dr. Bowder
0: uh, in in Dr. Bowder's classes, he described it as a, a, almost like a poker game with chips. And mm -hmm. sometimes you win chips and sometimes you have to cash in chips. And at the end of the the day, you want to have more chips than you started off with.
1: Yeah. Kevin's right. So I, I would agree with that. And I really, you know, that's fantastic. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I, uh, I've often thought, I mean, over the years, I've really enjoyed going to conferences. I mean, I could name off two or three or four conferences. I really, and a lot of us enjoy going to a conference and some pastors will go to maybe two or three conferences a year. Some conference. some pastors will go to a conference every other year i'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this i actually think what would be better for a lot of those guys is instead of going to two or three conferences a year why don't you just go to one and then that other conference instead of going to a conference where you're going to interact with 20 or 30 other pastors in other parts of the vineyard why don't you just stay home and invest in 20 or 30 of your own people Hmm. and um, so i i'm not saying i'm against conferences but honestly uh, one of the most important uh, one of the most important ways we earn credit to lead the congregation through change is us knowing God's sheep that are that God has placed under our care and um, a lot of times they don't trust us because they don't know us mm. and the reason why they don't know us is because we haven't invested in them as sheep uh, it's one of the things I've said over the years is, people have asked how you know when is a church too large well when a church when when you have individual members who no longer are known by at least one pastor in the church yeah that's not that's that's not consistent with what uh, the new testament you know reflects you know uh, pastor shepherds know the, the sheep the sheep mm-hmm. know their pastor they know the shepherd and so i, I really do think that a part of this Uh, a part of this is connected to knowing God's sheep. That's part of effective leadership is knowing and loving God's sheep.
0: Okay. Uh, Help us think through the dynamics of leadership in the church. How does the pastoral responsibility to lead mesh with the congregation's responsibility to follow, especially within a congregational church government? You already talked about pastors not kind of holding that, Uh, title over the head. I'm the pastor, follow me. Uh, But sometimes churches can do the same thing from the opposite sense of, well, we're, we're congregationally governed. So you do what we say. Uh, Help us think through some of the dynamics there.
1: Yeah, again, so as I, and you're right, I mentioned it earlier at IBL. we work with, uh, you know, we'll work with churches that have a single pastor deacon led model. Uh, we work with churches that have like, a, you know, uh, two or three pastors. You know, the pastors are here, the deacons are here, the congregation is here. And then we work with uh, churches that have, uh, you know, a plurality of elders. You got an elder team and you have a deacon team, and again, the congregation. Um, and yeah, there are some differences between those models. But I don't, I don't, at the end of the day, I don't know that it, in, in, Like, unless your eldership model is like, (laughs) and there are churches that do this, unless your eldership model is a a church where the elders have 110% of the authority Mm. and the congregation, the deacons, and everybody else has zero authority, unless you have that model, or unless you're, you know, you have a, a, you know, a Baptist church model where essentially you have an Episcopalian polity where the pastor is like, has like Pope-like authority. <laughs> and so at the end of the day, it's just what the pastor thinks. Um, unless you're hanging, it's like in, uh, for, for Central Seminary, my D-men, my doctorate, uh, which became a book, is the Pyramid of the Bach, the decision-making process of the local New Testament church. I talk about three extremes um, in the polity question. The one extreme is um, I, I call it the monarch, the monarchy. That's a guy's got a little mustache. You will do what we say. right? <laughs> it's my way or the highway. So, and a lot of times it's a pastoral dictatorship. It's interesting in some churches. It's a it's a the chairman of the deacon board dictatorship. Uh, <laughs> the chairman of the and in some churches there's a fight between those two guys over who's gonna you know get to lead the congregation. That's 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 misfortunate. The second extreme is a church that has maybe two or three leaders, and sometimes they're connected by way of family to each other, and it's uh, those two or three individuals will call all the shots, and uh, so that second extreme is the oligarchy, and then the third extreme is where the leadership has absolutely no authority to lead, and the congregation will make all of the decision-making every month. And so those congregational meetings are embarrassing. Right. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, they you know, they'll argue over a $50 phone bill. Well, okay, so. Yeah, so the three extremes, the monarchy, the oligarchy, and that last one with the kind of of a wild congregationalism, I call that anarchy. So those are kind of the three extremes. Most of our kind of churches would say, yeah, none of that is good. Most of our churches would say, "Yeah, all of that is demonstrosity. That's not, that's not consistent with the spirit or the teaching of the New Testament." My guess is most of our churches, and we make it, we make a big, we we make a lot of noise about the difference between elder-led churches and past. At the end of the day, I don't know that it's as big as we sometimes make it out to be. At the end of the day, most of us would say, "Okay, here are." decisions that the lead pastor gets to make, here are decisions which the lead pastor in consensus with other pastors are going to make, here are some decisions that the deacons are going to make, and maybe here are some decisions that the deacons and the pastors together, because uh, typically pastors are making decisions over the spiritual sphere of ministry, deacons are making decisions over the physical and the benevolent wing of ministry, well, you have a lot of decisions that impact both spheres. So most of a lot of our churches would say, well, let's get the pastors and deacons together in the same room to make decisions when it impacts both spheres, right? So again, you got, okay, the lead pastor, what are the decisions he can make? What are the decisions the pastors will make? What are the decisions the deacons will make? And then what are the decisions that the congregation will make, right? And then uh, one other that I... I'll just mention it and I don't know that it comes into play here, but the the final category or what are the decisions that each individual lay leader in serving in their ministry with their giftedness, what are the decisions that they can make? Mm-hmm. Because hopefully we're gonna give them the ability to make decisions in their individual ministry. Okay, so it, it kinda, in one sense, I, I almost don't, in one sense, I kinda almost don't care if it's a deacon if it's a congregational model led model or a deacon led pastor, deacon led model, or um, I do care, but at the end of the day, you, so each individual church has to be clear. What do we at, let's say, let's just call it first, uh, uh, you know, first church of, uh, Evanston. So you got Evanston at first church at Evanston. Okay. That church has to ask the question, well, uh, what do we believe are the right decision decisions that the lead pastor can make and so so you clarify those and you allow the pastor to lead that way what are the decisions that we believe the pastors can make what are the decisions that the deacons make and that the congregation makes and so i honestly i think the most important thing is each church just has to have clarity on what they believe the bible teaches and the practical outworking and then you allow those that portion of the church to lead with those legitimate decision-making categories mm-hmm. and then we we demonstrate that we can submit to one another uh, that you know and so there's that there's a great teaching on mutual submission yeah and uh, when it's being done right the congregation is submitting to the pastor in those areas the pastor the deacons are submitting to the congregation when the congregation is making a congregational decision-making category that the scripture gives to the congregation. Right. And then what are the decisions that go to the deacons? Well, let's submit to the wisdom. of. And so when it's done right, instead of going to war with each other, we're actually listening to each other and we're finding consensus. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so that's uh, we're finding consensus when the scripture, scriptural teaching on leadership really demands consensus and we're submitting to, a leader when the scriptures give that leader that authority to accomplish that decision. And so in short, I mean, I would say um, in one sense, it almost doesn't matter what polity tag you throw on there. I think all of us probably have a preference. All of us have an idea as to how that fleshes out. But I think at the end of the day, as long as each church is clear on what they believe scripture teaches on that Mm. and then applies that.
0: Yeah. Right. I, I think sometimes the waters can get a little muddied, especially in, I think you described it as an anarchy type situation, uh, where uh, maybe church members want to say, we'll follow the pastor unless he does something we don't like. And then we yeah. want to kind of hold this pastor or, or uh, congregational authority uh, that will just kind of, you know, use it to our advantage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes that, that can cause some issues.
1: Well, so one of the things I've, one of the things I've had to say over the years is, so here's the deal. Um, again, if you have a certain, um, a theological under, understanding of what the scripture teaches, uh, which is contra, uh, evangelical feminism, uh, it, it's, um, it has a certain understanding of, uh, a biblical teaching of male authority within the offices of the church. There are some decisions that if you're a sister in Christ, I'm sorry, you're not qualified to make that decision. And if you're a a brother in Christ and you don't meet the qualifications to be an elder or deacon, I'm sorry, you also don't get to make that decision. Mm. So my concern is is that uh, congregationalism or any kind of ism, any kind of polity would make an end around the scripture's teaching on who gets to make certain key decisions in certain key categories, and so um, yeah, I've seen that where with using congregationalism as a club, people that have been left out of the decision making because you're not qualified to make that decision. So says the New Testament, mm. and so an end around is is it is a wrong usage of congregationalism. Well, I, you know, I didn't agree with the deacons or the pastor said about that, so. Now that I'm a member of the congregation, I'll bring that. When well, no, I'm sorry, no, no, you don't get to do that mm. because that's a decision that's actually made by the pastors or the deacons. That's one of the again. That's what I'm saying. Each church has to be clear on what are the decisions that can legitimately go to the congregation versus what. And then, frankly, you've got a lot of pastors that need to just say, "We're not going to do that." I mean, mm. I, we no, we're not going to do that. It's uh, and it's not that he's a it's not that he's a dictator. It's not that he's a diatrophies. He's, but at the end of the day, he's there's uh, a, a, the lead pastor. Uh, he bears a unique weight of, of responsibility on his shoulders, and he's the one that's going to give an account at the Bema, at the Bema seat for what happens in that congregation. I mean, if we understand Revelation one through three, <laughs> the lead pastor, you know, essentially Jesus says, "Look, I'll take your light. light. I'm going to take your lampstand out if you don't get this in order." So there, there are some decisions that are heavy, heavy on, on the on the neck of the pastor that he that he and the deacons and or other pastors, legitimately get to make decisions that it's illegitimate for the congregation to to then say we're going to steal that decision from you, and um, and so I, again I think every church just has to be clear.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, Joel, this has been very helpful. I think we're going to have to break it up into two episodes because okay. <laughs> we're uh, we're kind of at the end of where we try to keep our time frame. So uh, we'll continue with this next time. Okay, <laughs> next time on the Central Seminary Podcast. What do I do if I don't like the pastor that I have for for whatever reason?
1: real problems, perceived problems, a wrong response to a real or perceived problem. Is there ever a case
0: where a pastor's leadership style just isn't right for the church?
1: I actually don't see any clause in the New Testament which allows you to escape the responsibility that you have to follow your pastor. You even
0: mentioned uh, diatrophies. What do you do as a pastor or a leader in the church with someone like that.
1: By the way, a wrong response to a perceived problem is now a real problem. Our churches stuck with their pastors. The Church Universal would say there are some things about your attitude and your personality we don't like, but we're stuck with you. Conflict isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's how you respond to conflict. Churches end up being a group
0: of people who kinda walk gingerly around so-and-so or Brother Bill or whoever, because everyone knows that they're they're just like this. Well, I work for God, I'm not God. I don't know what's in your head. But we, we don't like doing that, dude.
1: Do oh no. We don't
0: like following that Matthew no. 18 structure. We just wanna jump the gun.
1: There's just kind of this unworded expectation that you do leadership a certain way. Many times, We don't have those hard conversations. It's a lot easier to gossip and just try to go find somebody that shares my, you know, my wound. The pastor has wounded me.
0: Look for our next episode on the Central Seminary Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Central Seminary Podcast. Our mission at Central Seminary is to assist New Testament churches in equipping spiritual leaders for Christ exalting biblical ministry. Since its founding in 1956, Central Seminary has sought to provide serious students of God's Word with robust theological education as they prepare for ministry. We have many graduates around the world who are serving in countless ways to spread the gospel and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Find out more at our website, centralseminary.edu.